Welcome to the Cosmos in You podcast, where we interview scientists, philosophers, and leading thinkers to discuss the nature of our reality and the impact it has on our daily lives. Claire Bidwell-Smith is a therapist specializing in grief and is the author of two fabulous books, The Rules of Inheritance and After This, When Life is Over, Where Do We Go? Claire has a bachelor's degree in creative writing and a master's degree in clinical psychology. She teaches numerous workshops and retreats around the country and currently has a private practice in Los Angeles where she is also a mother of two. In this episode, we talk about the path to finding and keeping faith after the loss of her parents and her best friend in her early 20s, her reluctant but ultimately transformative experience in doing things like channeling spirit animals in shaman circles and many other non-traditional healing experiences, the steps to support people who are experiencing grief in your own life, and what Claire believes ultimately happens when we die. Such a fascinating conversation. I can't wait for you guys to listen in. I think you're going to get so much out of it. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Claire. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you on. And as I was um, just mentioning, I just finished your book after this, which was absolutely incredible. Um, Thank you. And so I would love to start by having you tell us about your journey, your story, and what brought you to where you are today. Yeah, um, it's, it's been... It's been a very thematic path in my life of a lot of death and loss. Both of my parents got cancer at the same time when I was 14. I was an only child. They were um, older parents. So my adolescence was really about um, thinking about mortality in a way that most of my peers were not. My, my parents were both in and out of the hospital and treatment. And so at a time when most of my peers were feeling more immortal than ever, I was really thinking about the fragility of life in a way that was that was hard. Um, my mother died when I was 18, and that, that event, you know, it just changed my entire life. It still informs my 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 daily process in a lot of ways, in in beautiful ways, and then in sometimes in hard ways. Um, but she had been just the most incredible person and my attachment to her was huge. My father died seven years later. And so at 25, I was very much alone in the world. And again, at a time when my peers were kind of moving out of their college lives and into their new careers, I was thinking, what is the point of all of this? What are we doing here? And I was just really in a deep depression. Um, I came out of it. I, I, I did a lot of yoga, a lot of therapy. I have amazing friends. I'd made a lot of mistakes. I learned from them. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting my master's in clinical psychology, went on to become a grief counselor for hospice. And um, I was always a writer, though. So I eventually put the journey of my uh, of my story into, into a book and um, wrote a memoir called The Rules of Inheritance, which came out a few years ago. And then I've just completed this new book called After This, When Life is Over, Where Do We Go? And it's an exploration of what happens after we die. I now work in private practice as a grief counselor in Los Angeles. And 
that's pretty much where I am and how I got here and the shorthand. Oh my God. There's, there's a lot. It's a lot. A lot. Yeah, there's a lot. And you're a mother. And I'm a mom. I have two little girls. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's go back to in your, um, and then you also lost a friend during that time in your twenties. I did. Uh, in between my parents' deaths, one of my best friends from high school, she got leukemia very suddenly and died within a year. And that experience was one of the things that's really informed this last book and the journey of it. Her name was Julie, and it was really different to watch a peer facing death uh, than it was to watch my parents and to really put myself in her place and to hold her hand as she confronted her own fears. She really didn't know. Um, she didn't know what she thought about about the afterlife or about death, and she was really afraid. She really didn't want to go. She didn't know where she was going, if she was going anywhere. She told me one day that she didn't even know anyone who had died. She was so young; she was twenty one. She hadn't even lost a grandparent, and she said, "What if there's nobody there on the other side to meet me?" Um, and I didn't have any answers for her. My mother had died three years earlier, and so we would talk about death a lot, and I was open to talking about it in a way that everyone around us couldn't and didn't want to talk about it, and they, in fact, discouraged us from talking about it. Um, and so Julie and I would have these secret death conversations <laughs> because we were just curious, and, and, and we were pretty open to, to it. And that summer, that the summer she was dying, I had, on a whim, picked up this book by psychic medium John Edward. And I didn't believe in mediums. I'd never seen one, but I was really in a, and still in the thick of grief over my mother, my mother's death. And I, and this book just kind of jumped out at me and I thought, wow, is it really possible that we could communicate with the dead? I want to at least read about it. And I was telling Julie about it and we just had so many questions like, why, why would the dead people talk to this guy? Right, right. And where, where are they? And why, well, you know, like just, we had so many questions and we didn't know how to answer them. And in any event, right before Julie died, um, I promised her two things. I promised her that if I ever had a child, I would name my child after her. <laughs> it was this big, lofty, youthful promise um, born out of so much love for my friend. And, and the other thing I promised her was that if she died, I would go and see John Edward and find out if she was okay and if there was another side. Um, so cut to 10 years later. Julie did die, but 10 years later, I am. Um, I'm living in Chicago. I'm 31 years old. I'm working as a grief counselor for hospice, and I've just become a mother. And I, um, becoming a mother had brought up a lot of death anxiety for me. I had, I had pretty much moved out of that, and I had, I'd found a lot of peace in my life prior to that. But then becoming a mother just put me into this such a vulnerable place. I had never loved anyone as much as I loved my little newborn daughter, and I felt so vulnerable in that love. What if something happened to her? What if something happened to me? You know, how could we ever be apart from each other? And and I, I found myself just wanting to, to just to have some kind of answer, some kind of faith. And I remembered my conversations with Julie, and I realized that I, I hadn't made good on either of my promises. I'd had a daughter, didn't name her after Julie, right. <laughs> and I still hadn't gone to see John Edward. And I thought, okay, all right, it's time. And so I, I booked my appointment with John Edward. And, um, I did so with a lot of trepidation. I, ha I was really afraid of a few things. Um, I made this appointment to go see him uh, in Long Island in a small group of 15 people in a hotel. It was very expensive. It was going to cost me $600. I made my reservation with a false name. I paid, you know, with cash. I was very meticulous in a kind of almost a research way. 
Um, but I was really afraid. I was afraid one that it would discredit my professional standing. You know, I'm a, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. I don't know anyone in my field who's seeing psychic mediums, you know, and, and messing around with that side of, of death and grief. Um, so I was, I was worried about that. Um, and then I was also really worried for the people who were going to be there that night, the other 14 people in this group. As a grief therapist, I thought, oh, these people have got to be in such a, a, a deep place of sadness and grief and desperation to go pay $600 and go see a psychic medium. Like, they must be really a mess. And I felt very protective over them and worried for them. And then the third thing I was afraid of was I was very skeptical, but I thought, what if, what if something really does happen? What if Julie comes through? What if my mom comes through? What if it's real? And I thought, do I want to open up this rabbit hole that I could potentially fall down? I will have to, I will have to reframe my entire idea about life and death if it's real. And am I ready to do that? You know? So off I went to Long Island with those three things. <laughs> yeah burbling around in my head. And, um, one thing that I, the most surprising thing to me, first of all, it was real. And, and it, it was, it was real enough that I thought, Oh my God, I have just, I don't, I have to, I have to rethink everything now. And, um, my mother came through, my father came through and what I saw him do with the other people in the room just absolutely astounded me and floored me. I don't even particularly like John Edward. I, I will, I, I say openly now, like he's definitely not my favorite medium. Um, I don't think he's, it's, it's not that I don't think he's, he does good work. I think he, I think he has a gift. I just don't really like his approach that much. Um, his translation, his translation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he, what he did that night in that room really was inexplicable and fascinating and, and actually very heartwarming in so many ways. And that's what I saw in the room that I was so surprised by was I saw so much healing happen for the other people who were there. And that was what I hadn't expected. Um, I, I saw so much healing, so much connection with their lost loved ones. I saw so much peace happen for these people who were in intense places of grief and loss. And, and I just, I, that really surprised me and um, gave me a lot of hope that there was a lot more to this than I had thought. You know, and I had been seeing, I had been counseling people for a long time. And I suddenly thought, wow, there's, there's a whole other side that I haven't really considered of, as a grief counselor up to that point, I had done a lot of work helping people let go. Mm. And suddenly I thought, wow, maybe the answer is to help people feel connected. Wow. And had people, when you had been counseling them, had you heard people say, you know, wow, I had this weird experience or, you know what I mean? How, would, did that yeah, come up? Here and yeah. there, yeah. here and there for sure. But I, again, I had been so skeptical of it. I had never been dismissive of it, but just skeptical, you know? Um, and then this really kind of blew the doors open. And then I went down on this like five year rabbit hole journey. Of, <laughs> it was I saw a rabbit hole. So many psychic mediums <laughs> I saw. I did all kinds of crazy stuff. And, yeah. yeah. Will you list out? Because in the book, by the way, for everybody listening, the book is really incredible. You go on this journey. And if you wouldn't mind, list all, you know, all the different avenues that you went through. Yeah, I um, I saw psychic mediums, talked to rabbis, priests, got into shamanism, did past life regressions, um, saw 
uh, you know, went to Bali. I, I had a seance in my house. Um, I, I just really kind of followed a, like a meandering path of one thing that led to another. And I had some profound spiritual experiences that changed my life and changed my work. Mm. And, um, and so through this, um, how has it reinformed the way you approach grief counseling um, now? What's different? You know, it just, it gave a lot more layers to it. I've always felt that grief counseling is really, there's so much about, you know, when I was like 30 and in Chicago and I would be at a bar with my husband and some friends and someone would inevitably say, you know, what do you do? And I would be like, oh, I'm a grief counselor for hospice. And they would just look stricken. What? And they didn't, they didn't, they couldn't even figure out a response. Like <laughs> yeah. their first thought I could tell was like, wow, that sounds depressing. But then right. they would stop themselves from saying it right. and they just didn't even know what to say. <laughs> but the thing is, I've never seen it that way. I've always seen so much beauty in it. And, you know, I think that grief and loss are just a reflection like a mirror image of how much love we have for someone and a relationship. And I think that's so beautiful. And so often I think there's so much transformation in grief and loss. It, it really forces us to evaluate our lives and our meaning and our purpose and our sense of connection and who we are. And there's a lot of pain in it, of course, but there's so much beauty, I think. And so that was always part of my philosophy. And that was just that part of it was enhanced so much by this journey. I mean, I, I just saw so many, so many new layers of life and meaning through all these spiritual avenues I explored. And, um, but I'll have to say like, you know, the one thing that really, that really shifted for me was, was just the sense that, um, this is not, this is not all there is. Um, this, this is a very human experience that we're having and, and there's, there's a lot more depth to it. And, um, and that the connections that we share with, with others and the love that we have with others never, ever actually disappears. I mean, that's, when I hear you say it, it feels like a, not a belief, but there's a deep knowing when you say it. Yeah. You know, I, I went into this journey with, out having faith in anything and not even understanding what faith was. Um, I, one of, one of the things I did in the book was I talked to a rabbi for a long time. We had a series of conversations and it was this whole random coincidence. I'd met him on an airplane right at a time when I was looking for a rabbi. And not only was he sitting next to me and living in Los Angeles, but he had also lost both of his parents by the same age that I had. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I can talk to this person about my same experience and how he processed it versus how I have. And what I just really um, envied throughout our conversations, what I envied about him was this faith he had, this resolute faith, this knowingness. And I thought, oh, how do I find that? Yeah. How is that? How does anyone find that? Um, and I did. You know, it, it took a while and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy work and it took many different experiences all kind of coming together. And it took me really opening up and letting go of a lot of, you know, old beliefs and misconceptions and walls and yeah. And it still requires work to keep it in place as well. It's not like once you have this faith, it's done, you know, I have to keep working. I have to keep being present. I have to keep exploring. I have to keep being open. 
in order to maintain it. Yeah. So I want to come back to that because I think those are two really important points is that you brought up to people who are listening is number one, how to find faith. I would love for you to talk about what is that process. And of course, it's not going to be the same for everyone, but what are some of the things people can do to find it? And then secondly, once you have found it, what are some of the things that you do in order to keep it? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that in order to find it, you just have to be, first, you have to want it. I didn't, I didn't want it for a long time. It was easier in some ways after my mother died to believe in nothing. I actually found it easier initially to think this is it. There's nothing more because the opposite of opening myself up to the possibility of there being more required work. And that was hard, right? So I, I didn't do it. Um, so I, I think in order to find faith, you have to be ready and you have to want it. You have to be open to doing the work for it. Um, because it really, the experiences I had really required me to look at myself, to, um, step past my ego in many, many, many instances to, um, go places in my head and my heart that were really hard and scary and painful. And so one of the things I did that was one of the most profound spiritual things that happened for me in the book was this shamanic workshop up in Bozeman, Montana. And, you know, the thing that, that was hard for me about it was that they wanted me to bring this drum or a rattle and I was going to be channeling my spirit animals and, you know, doing dances. And I just like, I thought I was too cool for that. Mm. It was really hard for me. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. I, uh, I couldn't buy the drum. I took my daughter's green plastic baby rattle from, <laughs> from her music class. Cause I just thought I was too cool. Yeah. And, um, so but what I'm saying is like, I, I eventually, you know, I, 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 eventually I was in there. I was, I was in the drum circle. I was dancing around channeling my spirit animal and, and it was doing stuff like that, stepping past my own ego enough to open up to these experiences, um, which allowed me to have them. So again, it was work, you know, uh, there was like just so many walls. There was a lot of resistance that I had to, to a lot of the experiences. There were just questions, um, and doubts, and, um, so just to continue, I continued, you know, putting myself through these things over and over and over again. And then they, it was so rewarding. Well, it's interesting to me because I, I would imagine that, that death would be made easier by having faith and harder not having it. So it's interesting to hear you say the opposite. I think it absolutely is. But the thing was, I didn't, I didn't go into it with any faith. Right. So I didn't know how to find it and okay. where to get it. And so the, I didn't know how to do the work to get there. Got it. So that's when the difference. My, I was raised with no particular religious belief. Um, my parents were kind of blandly, loosely Christian. Like we went to church at holidays or something, yeah, you know, and it same. just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very and so yeah. I had nothing and, yeah. um, and had never really thought about it either. Um, I think that's one of the things I ask my clients now all the time, my favorite, and it was my favorite question while I was working on this book. And I still ask this of everyone I know, what do you think happens when we die? And a lot of times people haven't let themselves think about it in so long that they're, they realize when they do think about it, that they've been holding on to some old belief from childhood Sunday school or something else, or they just don't even know they haven't really thought about it. And I think that there's such value in that. You know? Yeah. What value do you see in it? Just the exploration of 
I mean, we don't talk about it enough in our culture. We don't think about it. And then we get slammed with it because inevitably we will all lose people all the time. No one gets out of here alive. Right. And, and it's so hard, you know, and, and, and so there we are, we're we're, all of a sudden we're hit with the loss and we haven't put anything in, in place with which to understand it. And then we're trying to understand it from a, in a place of pain. Um, And that's really hard. Yeah. And so have, do you find that having these tools now and having faith, do you feel that you experience loss differently I do. It's still painful. Um, one of my best friends died last summer and it was right towards the end of my book. So I had been through so much of my experiences and I did have this faith. Um, it did not make her, I mean, it did not make her death any less painful. I did not want her to go. Um, however, I did feel like, um, I did feel a greater acceptance of it. Uh, definitely, that that was what really shifted. So much more acceptance of it, and less fear of it. I wasn't as afraid for where she was going, or what or what her process was going to be like, or what pain she might be in. Um, I th- I didn't feel as much fear around that, and and I watched some of my friends feel that and experience it, and just it really leveled them in a way it didn't for me. How do you find that you? or advice to people who are listening, who are, let's say they're friends with people who are going through, right, great loss. Um, How do you advise for people to best support them through that? If there are any tips on that. I think one of the big things is for people who are supporting other people who are grieving is for those people to um, let go of their own expectations for how that person is supposed to grieve. I think we all have our watching someone else go through it, we have our own feelings of like what that would be like for me. You know, like if, if I watch you lose somebody and I, and I put my own ideas of what I would feel like, it's totally different from what you're going through. You know, everyone's process is so different. So being able to meet your friend where they are in their process is the most important, really being open to where they are. And maybe sometimes where they are, they're not grieving or they're not grieving the way they, that you think they should be, or they're grieving too much or, you know, they're over it or they're mad or, you know, it's, it's hard. It brings up a lot for us. So being able to meet them where they are and kind of hold space for that, I think is really valuable. Something that I found really interesting, and I've noticed this in my own life, is, is um, because of Facebook, you find this whole new um, connection to people's lives that you that wasn't there before and when it comes mm-hmm. to death and grieving right you experience um it's a very strange thing so let's say um some you know you have acquaintances on facebook but if they're going through a loss or they actually pass on it's all on facebook right and so mm-hmm. these very deep personal tragedies where people write about it in pictures or you perhaps watch the process of that person, you know, if they are going through something hard, mm-hmm. you watch the process, you know, of them in the hospital bed. And and, it, and I've thought about it because, again, like I said, I've experienced it on my own where you don't know how to process it because it, that's a lot to take on when you're not w- with them. It's not your, you know what, I, I, I'm not explaining it well, and I don't know no, if you know, know what I mean. I do. Yeah. Um, and I, I know it is hard to watch that kind of stuff unfold, watch someone's grief process like that. You don't, feel like there's anything you can quite do yet you're kind of prisoner to witnessing it yes um 
And yeah, it can be challenging. I, I know from my own experience with grief and as a counselor that one of the things that is helpful in the grief process is to like be sharing the story, be open about it. Um, it was always hard for me just after my mother died to walk around in the world and look at everybody going about their lives. And I was in this such a different place. Um, it was so hard for me to, to feel like nobody even knew how I felt inside. Nobody knew that I had lost my mother. Nobody knew I was grieving. Um, and, and the avenues I found in which to, to let that out were writing classes. Often I was in college and I was writing and I would write about my mother's death and it felt really healing for other people to hear my story and just to, just to recognize that it was part of me. And I see that in grief groups a lot, just sharing your story. So I think on Facebook, it is helpful for, for people who are grieving to just be, have it out there and have people know how they're feeling. Um, but it's, it's sometimes hard for all of us because again, it's, death is scary. It's really hard and scary. We all are here and we want to be here and we have people we love and we don't want to lose. And so to, to be hit in the face with it over and over or when you log on to Facebook and to think, oh God, mortality, here we go right, again. <laughs> right. And it's a daily, um, right? I mean, whether yeah, it be I know. someone you know or someone in the news or, right? It's just Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Daily. I think it's getting more popular on Facebook too, to be like, hey, my sister-in-law is having surgery tomorrow. Can everybody right. pray for her or like right. whatever it is. And and previous to that, the Facebook, we never would have known these That's things. That's what or, I'm saying. And it's yeah. wonderful because there is that coming together. There's that shared support. There's that prayer, right, of coming together. Mm-hmm. So I was going to surgery. There's the, there's so many amazing things about it. And yet, um, or for example, there was a, um, uh, I don't know if you saw the woman who um, got shot in San Francisco um, a few weeks ago. Um, she was in her early 30s. Um, and it was big in the news because a, um, a guy who was an illegal immigrant had shot her anyway. But there were, you know, it's on Facebook and I look and we have so many mutual friends and I'm thinking, mm. oh my God, you know, I would never have known that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes really real. And then, and so, so there's just this part of, of the, the one who experiences it, not meaning the one who watches it or observes it, right. Which is all of us. Or Cheryl Sandberg losing her husband, yeah, right? That yeah. amazing letter. I felt like I knew him. And, and then right. you were experiencing grief through them, even though you don't even know them, right? Yeah, I have yeah. chills. It's so, it's, it's, it's intense. Yeah. And so thinking about, yeah, what to do with it. I think it also, I imagine, brings up grief that hasn't been processed for people, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, definitely. It's amazing how how long grief can stay in us. Um, I think that I think it, it's something that has to move through us, and if we don't let it, it it just gets caught up in there, and it manifests in, in other things, illnesses, or you know, relationships, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and I and I always I felt there's people who I know who have been through really amazing healing journeys where they have seen light healers and they've seen, you know, they've Mm -hmm. smart where they've done all this, but, um, for people who want to find like, you know, where to experience, where to find this, is it just a Google search away or, you know what I mean? How do people start to find healers and, um, and how to start processing this? Facebook? No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Back to Facebook. <laughs> Honestly, maybe like I, I think what's, what's funny, people ask me all the time, like, how do I find a psychic medium? And I, 
I always tell people you will be surprised by how many people you know who actually know of a good psychic medium or have seen a psychic medium. People don't talk about it that much. Um, but if you ask around people, lots of people in your life, it turns out, will have will have someone. And um, it's fun. And you interviewed um, and you talked about Dr. Julie Beischel, who we interviewed on the podcast. Oh, did you? Yeah. So I, um, she's she, fascinating. She is fascinating. And so her um, list of 20, you know, mediums is an incredible place to start for people. It's on winbridgeinstitute.org. Um, I think that's Definitely. the right or Google it. Yeah. If there's like, you know, I would, I would suggest if there's a, a, a famous medium that you've heard of and you like Teresa Caputo or John Edward or whatever, you can go on their websites and they all usually have recommendations of other mediums mm, that good. they, that they like a lot. I have a whole list in the back of my book of all the people I saw and talked to well, that's great. Yeah. That's really helpful to have on there yeah, as well, because you want to have a good, because that's the other thing, you know, when we're talking about that translation, I've seen um, psychics as well. And I've noticed that similar to um, all of us, all of them have different strengths and skills, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so absolutely, you can't have one experience and say, oh, then, you know, I saw a psychic once, it didn't work. It's it just, because each one, you know, some are great at, you know, more mediumship, some are great at future, some are great at past, some are great at telling you where, you know, spirit guides, like all have different strengths. And I think that's like anything, like finding a therapist, you have to also find someone who feels good to you. Like I said, I didn't really, I don't, I don't really um, appreciate John Edwards style as, as some other people might, you know, I found, I found certain mediums that I really liked their style and their just kind of their personalities, and that felt better to me. Yeah, yeah, and that you're right. It is it is so incredibly important to think about that. Um, so, in going through this journey, um, you know, you put at the end of your book. I want to pull it up of of the que- the question you asked is, um, I think it was, what do you want? What do you want to happen after we die? Right? Yeah. I had been going around asking all everybody I knew, what do you think happens when we die? And one day a friend of mine turned to me and he said, Claire, what do you want to happen? <laughs> and I just like my mouth, like my jaw dropped. And I was like, I, I, I had never let myself even ponder that. And, you know, I think that's a really special question. I think often we don't even let ourselves ask what we want in general. You know, it's so hard for us to what do we want? It's that we, we get all caught up with what we deserve or what, you know, what, what's possible or, or whatever. we don't we, want. Right. And, um, and so just to even ask yourself, what, what do you want to happen when you die? That one really, it took me like a year to answer it. Um, and it was when my friend was dying last summer that I, I came home from seeing her one morning and I thought about what I wanted for her and for myself. I had I was watching her say goodbye to her three-year-old daughter and it was just a brutal experience, um, to watch and for her, uh, and it was my worst nightmare, you know? Um, so I was watching my worst nightmare right in front of me. Um, and it was also watching what I had been through losing my mother. And so I came home and I just sat down and I wrote for two hours about what, what I wanted to happen when she died and what I would want to happen when I do. And it's, it's the very last chapter of the book, yeah, the epilogue. Yeah. So beautifully, so beautifully written. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think uh, uh, if we ask ourselves that question and if we answer it, it's something we can work towards, you know, we can change our lives. We can change what we're doing on a daily basis in order to work towards that goal. Because I think, I think a lot of us hold the belief 
that what we're doing right now and here and what our work is and what our challenges are and what our missteps are, are kind of guiding what's going to happen next. You know, that's an it spans cultures and religions. How we live informs how we die, where we go. And uh, there's, there's beauty in that. Mm-hmm. And choice. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. Choice. Yeah, which is so important. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Claire, for this. this thank has you. It's been so beautiful. And um, again, where, where can people find out more about you and your resources? And do you see people outside of Los Angeles over the phone or Skype or mostly in, all in Los Angeles? I do phone and Skype, mostly in Los Angeles. Um, and then I also do retreats. I have lots of different workshops. Um, I think I'm going to start doing some retreats with a medium friend of mine. So mm. look out for those. That'll oh, be cool. fun. That'll be great. Get a grief counselor and a psychic medium oh. in one weekend. <laughs> oh my gosh. How amazing. Yeah. And they can find all of that on your website. Everything on my website, clairebidwellsmith.com. Perfect. All right. Great. Well, thank you again so much for your time and being thank here. Thank you for it's having me. All right. Great. Thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did, and I would love to continue the conversation with each of you over at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash cosmos in you, or our Twitter page, the Twitter handle also is cosmos in you, and of course, at our website, cosmosinyou.com. Again, thank you so much for listening in. I'm so grateful to each of you to be able to share this shared passion and look forward to seeing you next time.